Tonight's scripture reading is taken from the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send to you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he's going to kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for him, for me, him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to him trembling and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he's keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. The word of the Lord. So the old prophet stares into a dying fire, his hope fading like the embers before him. He stooped and he's gray-headed now. And he's just very disappointed in the way that his life has turned out. He'd served Israel faithfully now for a generation. He was Israel's greatest leader. He knew the plan. He knew the scriptures. He knew that God had promised Abraham to heal the world through Israel. He knew how important leadership was to that. He knew that God was not pleased when Israel had demanded a king, but he also thought God had kind of aligned himself in humility with the, the will of the people, and he was excited about Saul when he anointed him. 
And Saul's reign began very well. Saul was a good-looking, tall man. The people loved him. He starts, he protects the people from uh, their enemies. He makes a killer speech with all the right notes about justice and worship. And it just begins so well. Those were the glory days. And then there were hints that it was not so well. Saul decided to become priest and king in a particular battle, and that infuriated Samuel because Samuel had ordered him not to. Saul decided not to follow particular commands in another battle, and eventually Saul becomes insecure, jealous. His personality starts to disintegrate, and God says to Samuel, I want you to go and tell the king he's done. And he did. And so here Samuel sits, worried about the future of Israel, wondering if God's project would be abandoned, with no idea of where to go next. And we get the feeling that he's stuck in his grief and in his disappointment. He just, this was not part of the plan. He doesn't know where to go. And that may be where you find yourself tonight. This happens to all of us, I think, in life. You faithfully follow God as best as you can. You work hard for Him. You try to diligently serve Him. And then there comes a point where your life isn't quite working out like you thought it would. People have let you down. And what's worse, you don't have much of a vision for the next chapter. It's a scary place to be. It's where Samuel is. God doesn't want him to stay there for long. And so the Lord says to Samuel, how long are you going to grieve over Saul since I've rejected him from being king over Israel? And this is a little bit of a kind of a get off your rear end speech from the Lord. Uh, he's not going to allow him to stay here much longer. Now, I always, I always try to envision these, these Old Testament stories. And when it says the Lord said to Samuel, I always want to know well, How? <laughs> I mean, we just read that, but what did it look like? The Lord speaks in a lot of different ways to his people. For me lately, uh, God has been speaking in dreams. I had a, had a wonderful time out in the desert. Um, and one of the things that was kind of so interesting about that, that time was, I know you were praying that I'd hear from the Lord. I was praying that I'd hear from the Lord. And God just started to give me a lot of dreams, which is uh, not something that I'm familiar with. I don't always know what to do with it. So I uh, spent the mornings, or some of the mornings out there, in the book of Daniel. Uh, that, that's a book filled with dreams. started to just study, okay, Lord, what do you do with dreams? There's a little monastery library. I pulled some books down, started to kind of so, try to figure out what the Lord might be saying to me in my dreams. Well, what I realized God was doing is, you know, I was a little bit of a stuck place myself, and sometimes you can get into this endless mental loop about your situation. Well, sometimes a dream will kind of go underground and has a way of getting around your thoughts and showing you some new things. Well, this time, uh, Deb and Dan Scaproth were, were out there. They came out to the monastery. Trevetta was in Texas visiting her dad. She drove down for a few days, and another man, a friend who lives in Santa Fe, was there. 
And we said, I'll tell you what, let's be silent all day. And at the end of the night, why don't we get together and process what we're hearing from the Lord? So, so we do that. We're sitting in, uh, in one of their, their little rooms at 730. Uh, and I say, this is the oddest thing. I'm just dreaming a lot. Everybody nods their heads. Next night, we all get together, and essentially they say, uh, we hate you. And I say, why? <laughs> because we all are dreaming all night long and not getting any sleep. And everybody's uh, dream life was just like exploding. And so we spent all week looking at Daniel uh, or talking about how do you interpret dreams, trying to pray and discern one another's dreams. And <laughs> it was just really, really powerful. But here, here's a warning I realized is you better be really careful when you do that and who you do it with because you can't filter your dreams. Uh, it, it leads to some really rich discussion as you're trying to discern the will of the Lord. And, and, and I, I wonder if that's what God is doing in my life. And I couldn't help but wonder if maybe that's something he wants to do in our lives as well. You know, Joel 2 says that one of the marks of the Spirit's coming are dreams and visions. Um, maybe, maybe you might open yourself up to God speaking to you in the night. Had a friend told me after we got back, he said, uh, I had this dream, it was kind of scary. I said, well, tell me, tell me about it. And they said that uh, essentially they were at risk of their life and the dream was, was kind of a death dream, that they were something about happened to them that would have killed them. And I didn't really know what to do with that, prayed about it, and I went and you know, kind of read a little bit about it. And one of the people that I read said this, In my experience, all dream deaths are related at one level or another to the growth and transformation of personality. It is as though the old structure of personality, which is being altered as a result of increasing maturity, must die in order to make way for the new structure. And so in this person's life, the nightmare really was a word of hope, where the Holy Spirit was saying, I'm, I'm, you're, this old way is dying and I'm building up something new. Now that may not be where you are tonight. And obviously you've got to be careful with dreams. You always got to measure them by the revealed will of God. But I encourage you, if you're kind of stuck and you're kind of thought and stuck in some loops, maybe God will speak to you in the middle of the night. He's been doing that to me lately. However he does it, when we're stuck, we need to listen for the voice of the Lord. And Samuel does that, and he hears, and he goes to visit Jesse, who lives in Bethlehem. God says, I'm going to provide a king from that family. And Samuel responds. Remember, this is the most godly man in Israel, one of the most godly men in the history of the Old Testament. God tells him a simple command, and his first response is, Lord, it's a dumb idea. So we're not the only ones to, to wrestle with that. He says, don't you realize that if I go and I start putting new kings into place when the old one, who, by the way, is becoming a madman and homicidal, if I start doing that, it's not politically wise, Lord. Do you realize that? And, of course, the Lord realizes that. But here's, I think, a lesson. When God starts to move you in a new place, when he starts to take you out of where you are, when he starts to do something fresh and break in, it almost always requires risk. Almost always. 
and it requires faith. One of the reasons we stay stuck, we don't want to take the risk. So the Lord gives Samuel a plan, and he goes down and talks to the, the elders at Bethlehem. And uh, there's no temple yet in Jerusalem, so it was not that abnormal for uh, a priest to come and offer sacrifices and to have a sacrificial meal. And they, they seem to, to buy that. And uh, he goes. But I skipped something that I think I want to point out here from verse 4 that's so important. Samuel did what the Lord commanded. I don't want to pass by that. Because sometimes I think our grief, our disappointment, our anger, our frustration gives us an excuse not to obey God. That you think, that I think, that I'm off the hook because God's let me down. God's not done what he said he was going to do. I'm disappointed, I'm angry, I'm frustrated, people have betrayed me, I'm not where I thought it would be, therefore, I don't have to do what you say, Lord. You're going to stay stuck forever. Last time I preached on Sunday night, I asked you to listen to that one thing you knew he was saying to you. Not all the things you don't know what he's saying to you, the one thing you know he's saying to you, small thing, Did you do it? You're not going to get the big stuff if you don't do the little stuff. So he obeys. And God opens up a new life for him. When I, when I read this, I thought of a, one of a member of our church, Dan Fry, and you know his story somewhat. If you've been here a while, Dan's Dad was uh, murdered and 26 years ago. And obviously, if there's anybody who has an excuse to be stuck in grief and disappointment and anger with God and doubt and confusion, it's, uh, it's someone who's gone through that. I've known Dan since 98. Watched him walk through this terrible uh, disaster in his life. Still hard. I don't think you ever get over it. But here's what I've seen Dan do. Dan helped start a group called Hope for Victims. And out of his grief and his suffering and his pain, he said, let's, let's get everybody who's a victim of a murder together, start a support group, and love each other. And that's what they're doing. And they're having a, a victim's walk uh, Sunday afternoon at 2 down at the World's Fair site. He asked me to, to, to speak at, at the end of it. And honestly, I'm not sure what I'm going to say. Appreciate your prayers for that. But if anybody has a right to get stuck in their grief, it was Dan. And he obeyed. And I loved what the, what the little video was about. Sometimes I, I think when we get into these dark places and we do have doubts, and, and this is one of the things I think I might talk to the, the survivors about, we think, you know, I've got to resolve all these questions before I start following God again. I've got, I've got to have answers. I've got to know why that happened. 
I got to know why I still struggle with that. I, I, I got I to know why this is going on in my family. No, you don't. You probably never will. You know, there, there's two kinds of spirituality in, in the church. In the West, we focus on what we call cataphatic spirituality, and that, that's very much about knowledge and knowing and reason and doctrine and truth and answers. In the East, they focus on what's called apophatic spirituality, and, and it's very hard for Westerners to understand, but it's basically the opposite. It's about not knowing. And there's even a book that was written in the 14th century called The Cloud of Unknowing. That's not a title that would sell a lot today. Can you imagine a conference on that? Come and let me talk to you about not knowing. <laughs> but I think they're on to something. Because if you're waiting to obey God till you understand why things have happened, you're stuck. You may never know. That's why they call it faith. So Samuel does come to the, to the elders. They're nervous to talk to him again. Very politically dangerous situation when somebody who's out of order with the king comes and visits. And Daniel, or Samuel goes ahead and has the sacrifice with him. And Jesse starts to parade the sons before him. And then this is the line, probably the most famous line from this part of the sermon. He brings Eliab before him. Surely this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man sees on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now what's going on here? Samuel is trying to do a new thing in an old way. You remember, you might remember earlier in the story when he, when he brings Samuel or Saul before the people. Here's what we read. And Samuel said to all the people, Do you see whom the Lord has chosen? There is none like him among all the people. And the people shouted, Long live the king, for he was taller than everyone else. And that's all he knew. And so he's gotten it right so far. He's, he's getting away from his stuckness and he's moving towards God. But then he starts to try to do a new thing the old way. God says, you've got to stop looking at it that way. I want you to start to see through my eyes. That's what this part of your life is about. Not the old way. You're going to learn to see through my eyes. And I just think that is so often what happens to us is that maybe we do trust, maybe we do move, maybe we do obey but we try to do it the same old way. And I, told, I think I told you about a, a vision, this dream and vision thing. It's just kind of going on in my life. I had this vision, and, I, and I, I think it might apply to us as a church. And the vision was this. I can't remember if I said it or not, but I was in a mountain stream. There were gold coins all over the, uh, my feet, uh, but I was blindfolded, and I, I couldn't see them to reach them. And so when I first started to pray about this, I shared it with a few people. I thought what the Lord was saying was, well, you've got you to figure out what the blindfold is and take it off. And then as I prayed about it and tried to discern the meaning of the vision, the next thing that I think I heard from the Lord was, 
You've got to learn how to pick up the treasure, my treasure, without using your eyes. You've got to start learning how to live without relying on all the natural resources that you have. And I I wonder if that's not a word for our church. That as we go into whatever God's future is for us, that we don't just default and do it the way we've always done it, but that somehow, whether it's the shepherding team talking about how to shepherd better or you talking about how to care for the people in your life better or whatever it is, we don't just use our eyes in our training in the last blog we read. And I know this is a silly picture and it's not a Christian picture, but it keeps coming to mind. You know, the early uh, Luke Skywalker, when well, some of you are thinking about that already, and, he, and Yoda's training them how to fight and he, and he puts the, the, the helmet on or the mask on, and he can't see, and he's learning how to fight with uh, the, whatever you call that phaser thing he is. Uh, lightsaber, thank you. And he's learning how to do that by relying on the force. Well, as a Christian, we don't believe in a force. We believe in the Holy Spirit. And I think that's a picture of learning how to do life in a new way. Less on my natural experience and training, more on the Spirit living within me. So, all seven come by. None of them are the right guy. Jesse said, well, we do have this young one. He's out tending the sheep. And the Hebrew word for young can mean smallest. So, David is not even invited to the party. I mean, he's kind of Cinderella. He's not even in the room. And remember, in this culture, they still practice primogenitor, which meant the firstborn has all the rights to lead the next generation. So culturally, what should have happened is the firstborn should have been the the king. What's God doing? He's flipping the entire thing on its head. Not only am I not taking the firstborn, I'm taking the lastborn, who you thought was so insignificant, you left him out watching the sheep. And then Samuel, and this is just such a powerful picture. Samuel puts him in the middle of all the brothers, anoints him with oil. Spirit rushes on him, the text says. And then it says, and Samuel went home to Ramah. (laughs) End of story. (laughs) I love it. Can you imagine what breakfast was like the next morning? You know, they're all there eating their cereal. <laughs> you know, and like, what? what just happened here, uh, 12-year-old cheap boy? Um, we do have a king already. I, that might be worth sitting on. I just think there's something pregnant in that. And, and here's what I think part of it is. Many times when God puts a calling on your life, it's a long time before it's fulfilled. And people often don't understand what it is that you're called to do. And sometimes, instead of going to Harvard Kennedy School to get training from the best and the brightest, you wind up watching sheep in the backside of the desert. And that's how God prepared the king of Israel. 
Let's pray.